Hello my little wonderbugs, welcome to That Tech Show, the show that reveals the magicians behind the magic that is everyday technology. This week we have Peter Taylor on the show. Peter Taylor has written over 20 books on the subject of project management, including number one bestseller, The Lazy Project Manager. Despite the lazy moniker, his books are not about being inactive. On the contrary, they bring fun and focus to the discipline of managing projects, doing more with less and finding easier ways to do things. The books take in everything from Monty Python to dinosaurs, all with the aim of delivering bigger, better and more effective projects. We have another special giveaway for this episode where you can win one of Peter Taylor's books. All you need to do is head on over to any one of our social channels, that is Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook or Instagram, and you will see one of our latest posts on how you can enter. So good luck to anyone entering that one. And before we get going, as usual, please do leave us a review on Podchat chaser and or apple podcast it really does help the channel and so without further ado here is peter taylor i usually introduce myself as peter taylor i am the lazy project manager and i'm quite proud of that and it's uh, based on a book i wrote back in 2009 which was kind of well it was it was completely different i don't think anything had been seen like it it was all about working smarter not harder but I wrote this book and I was given free reign to write it by my publishers. And it's got dinosaurs and field marshals and Italian economists and a bit of Disney and stuff like that. And it continues to be really, really popular. My life is a mixture. I do speak. I do continue to do writing. There are many other books beyond The Lazy Project Manager. But every now and then I go and enjoy the company and I help them set up a PMO. And I've really enjoyed that. You know, some global level PMOs with lots of project managers, hundreds of project managers, thousands of projects. It's very exciting. So I'm very fortunate. I bounce between the two and it's a lot of fun. Cool. Well, to go back a little bit, you had this free reign from your publisher to start this. How did the publishing deal come about? How did it come round to setting up the first book? Yeah, a little bit of background story behind it. The Lazy Project Manager was born out of my manager insulting me. <laughs> the sensible part of it was, I had about 100 or so project managers working for me, and I kind of saw that they were working in two different ways. You know, half of them were working reasonably successful and working, on average, pretty typical working weeks, and they were being reasonably successful. The other half were being no more successful, but were working crazy hours. So I started doing some behavioral analysis behind that. What were they doing differently? At the same time, my manager, who I thought liked me because he'd employed me a couple of times already, he was like, I'm the laziest person he's ever met. <laughs> but it turned out it was a compliment. And from this concept of a lazy project manager, because I saw so many project managers focusing and putting their efforts in the wrong area, they were just working harder. Speaking is what I love to do, but I was given some advice by speaking agencies. If you get a book, then that's really good. It's a great business card. You can set it, you can give it away, all that. And being the lazy person I am, I bought one of the kind of literary guild books. I looked up all the publishers online and agents online, and I only reached out to the ones that are very simple forms or would accept an email. Anybody wanted an abstract or wanted a sample chapter, ignored completely. And I sent off about 15 of these, and I was very lucky. One literary agent said, no interest in representing you, but I know my friend is just starting up a publishing house. They've just sold out to one of the big boys. They're starting again, and they were looking to do some business books, which I'm pretty certain project management is one of them. And that was the case. And I was very fortunate because these two guys had set up this new publishing company in Oxford. I had no idea what project management was at all. So they just said, well, Tick, you write a book about project management. You've got a funny title, The Lazy Project Manager. Just write it and we'll publish it. And so I was very lucky. Yeah, I think that sounds like a very lucky entry into the literary world. <laughs> but at this point, so this is 2009, how long had you spent in project management? What was the range of experience you were drawing on to put together The Lazy Project Manager? 
over 30 years at that point. You know, I've been in project management or variances of that change management leadership type stuff for a very long time. And actually, I should have started writing the book much earlier than that. I left it late, really, to get around to it. I think what people like about the book, it's short attempts to be funny. Every chapter's got a little tiny story about where I completely screwed things up. And uh, there's a lot of honesty. And at that point, the thing I hated about project management books then is the fact that everyone I'd ever been given or told to read or had read, they were creations of perfection. It's like nothing ever went wrong. It was just do this, Mm. do this, and do this. To me, that was all wrong. And so that's why I wrote the book the way I did. And I think that's why it's been and continues to be so successful. And very dry as well. Yes, absolutely. There's one gentleman in project management, I won't say who it is, but he gave me his book, and his book was six times thicker than my book. And I gave him my book in return, and I've never read his book. But he told me he read my book on the plane all the way back to America, and he quite liked it. So, you know, there you go. It's a thin book, and I was starting out in my career at project management. I probably got two years into my project management career when I read it. For someone who was early in their career and naturally quite lazy, I identified with that quite heavily. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm going to be grateful. I mean, fundamentally, that book allowed me to write all the other books, and there are now 21 other books after that. Wow. I've traveled many places. I mean, I remember reflecting while I was sitting in a bar at lunchtime in Auckland, New Zealand, having been flown out in very pleasant style to be a keynote speaker at a conference out there. And I'm thinking, wow, this tiny little book. The messages I put in it has somehow made this happen. I'm on the other side of the planet, which probably wouldn't have happened without it. So, yeah, I'm very lucky. So you talked about the behavioural analysis being the thing that sort of kicked that off. But how did you start your career in project management then? Was it something you intended to go into or was it something you fell into? I didn't even know what project management was. (laughs) I mean, when I was at school, they kept telling me to be an accountant. I think I would have been a terrible accountant. I floundered around for a while, you know, I went to college and eventually bounced between various jobs. I had no idea what to do. It happened because I joined a company. I was just doing stock management and progress chasing and stuff like that. But this company, they were replacing their MRP system, paid materials requirements planning for the people that are old as me. They won't <laughs> remember that. It is a procedure to ERP, enterprise requirements planning, and they were replacing it. And what happened was the IT director had basically customized the hell out of this system and made a lot of money. And they were trying to progress onto the next version, which was a vanilla transfer kind of thing. And they needed someone to help. And I just somehow had a natural affinity to what they were doing here. But I was working with a guy that came in from the supplier and who was a project manager. You know, I still didn't understand quite what his job was. But one thing I did know about him, he had a better car than I did. And he had better clothes than I did. And he seemed to have a better lifestyle. So I thought I should do this. So after about a year of that, I reached out to an organization and I managed to lag my first job as a project manager. So from that, I staggered into project management. But fortunately, I was given a fairly supportive role in the early days and began to learn stuff. And it probably was about an eight year journey before I would really say I'm fully fledged, competent project manager. But yeah, that's it. And did you pick up any particular courses, any particular styles of project management on that journey? I mean, what have you... So you've gone through these styles and you've become an expert in project management. What styles have you gone through? What sort of methodologies have you gone through? And what have you landed on as a key learning? Methodologies or approaches, whatever you want to call them, are really interesting. We could wind up the agile community out there and get them all excited. And there's probably champions of waterfall out there. The reality is I have always remained pretty neutral in everything I've done. I've shown minimal affinity or dedication to anything. 
you know, I've been part of most of the uh, project management communities at some time out there. I've been trained in Prince2 and I've been got the PMP certification, etc. I think there's two parts to the answer. The first one is every method or approach I've used with the projects I've been involved in has always been some form of a hybrid. Even from the early days, I've mm. never done a waterfall project. Even though you might look at it, if you went back in time and looked at the visualization of the methodology, it would look waterfall because that was nice and simple to explain to customers. The reality was there's always a degree of iteration in there. And so in later days, you know, I tasked my team in the PMO to come up with some names, et cetera. And we came up with various ones. We've had fragile and glagile, you know, gated lean agile and fragile is fixed <laughs> agile. We've worked with various versions of it, but my approach has always been making the framework that is as lean as possible, that incorporates components of agile wherever possible, but gives flexibility for mature project managers to be creative. But the other half to the question really is, when I started, I had nothing. And I do reflect about how the hell did I survive? And I think it's because I used the skills I had, which I guess were people skills. It was a communication. It was negotiation. It was kind of leadership. It was kind of working with people to get the best out of them as a community. And then later on, I learned and was trained in the mechanics of project management. In the project managers that you've worked with over time, is there a certain set of qualities that you think make a good project manager? Is it knowing all of the methodologies or is it having that right instinct or you talked about leadership and communication and those sort of things? What makes a good project manager in your eyes? Yeah, great communicator, I think, is the heart of it. It's what you read, you know, 70, 89% of what project managers do is some form of communication. If you can't communicate well, you're not going to do well. If you don't like people, you're not going to do very well either. <laughs> I've seen some project managers come in, particularly in the area of like project recovery, and it's not about people, it's about sorting some tough stuff out. Mm. But they don't stay very long. They turn stuff around and then hand it over. So fine for that. But generally speaking, no. And I think we might get on to AI and project management a bit later on because I think that's something that really is going to bring that people focus back to the forefront of project management. So if I'm recruiting someone, I always look at their people skills and their ability to mentor and support and guide and have an empathy with the people they're working for and people who can build a team spirit. There's quite a few different routes I want to go in this. So, I mean, let's touch on the AI side of things. So your latest book is AI in Project Management. Is that correct? The latest one that's written, the next one to be published is about how to get your organization business agile. That's out, yeah, on the 17th of May. Right. I have just submitted AI in Project Management. That will be out before the end of the year. And I'm really excited about that one. It's just an exciting topic. We're recording this ahead of the one that's out in May, but it will presumably be out by the time this is published. Available in all bookshops and <laughs> on the line apps, yes. Wherever you get your books. Is there an audio version? Do you do an audio book? There is no audio version. I hope for that as a next iteration. But the AI in Project Management, what is AI in Project Management? How do you approach artificial intelligence in the world of project management? All the major views of it is going to be a major disruptor in project management. I'll give you one stat. I mean, Gartner is suggesting by 2030, 80% of what a project manager does today will be done by AI. Yeah, that's a big, scary number. And actually, the, the, uh, the phrase they use is eliminated, which is probably a scary one, and people start thinking terminated straight away. It's not going to be like that. What is it going to do? There are typically, if you look at what the concept of narrow AI, which is what we're talking about here, mm. there are four elements to it or phases or steps. It's, it depends what you read and what term you use, but there's integration and automation. So that exists now. That's kind of where things are put in place to automatically schedule stuff. A lot of resource management is already kind of working that way or something like that. The second level is chatbox, and we all know about chatbots because mm-hmm. you know, if we ever have a problem with Amazon, we're, we know we're going to be talking to a chatbot. 
that kind of personal assistance to a project manager is out there. The real area that's going to make a significant difference is in machine learning. You know, this is where the AI starts looking at the data and starts supporting you in a predictive manner. It's you know, anticipating, suggesting, very, you know, predictive and their variances and things like that. You know, the challenge there, of course, is data, quality of data, accessibility of data, and so forth. That area is really going to bring about a significant change in the world of project management. If I'm honest, it's going to take over all the boring crap that we don't, you know, we don't actually you know, really like. I never liked it. You know, all the blooming reports you had to produce and updates and status and reviews and stuff like that. And I think that's a good thing. I mean, the fourth one is what's known as autonomous project management. I mean, that really is where we're no longer needed. A machine is going to be taken over. That is so far in the horizon right now, it's not even worth talking about. It just doesn't exist. Is there a range on the complexity of a project that would allow you to get an autonomous PM? Because presumably, the more complex the project becomes, the less likely it is to be able to be automated, at least at this point in time. I suppose so. And, you know, I worked in an organization where we had a small group of, we call them remote project managers. They never went on site. They never connected to the client. I mean, effectively, they were overseeing a simplistic deployment of a very small piece of software, a single module, that was incredibly repetitive. So there's a big argument about, was that even a project? But the clients were always different. And they just followed effectively a kind of workflow pattern. And it worked okay. I mean, what didn't work, of course, was when there was a problem, when the client was difficult or argued or didn't do something or whatever. That's when they got into difficulty because they didn't have the experience to deal with that variance to plan. I mean, could you have autonomous PM in that area? Possibly. But, you know, by default, the same thing would apply, that you need an exception escalation up to a human if things didn't go according to a standard process, if you like. Are there a couple of stages on this progression then from the really simple projects where you could automate a PM to tools that are able to support the PM, which you talked about the scheduling stuff, which I'm quite interested in particularly. Yeah, I think the exciting areas in that area is pretty much all the elements of project management are being looked at now. You know, so one organization I'm working with, what they look at is the language that's used in updates and reports and meetings and things like that, which provides some kind of sentiment of how people are feeling. So that's an interesting one. Again, offering up some kind of predictive analysis on that. Another company I'm working with, they're looking at the kind of interaction between team members and trying to understand how they feel at any given time because a high-performing team is a very successful team. Another company is looking at the kind of automation of resources and scheduling and trying to do a better balancing job across a whole portfolio. Because, I mean, the thing about AI is it doesn't get a headache when you start trying to think of too many things. It just deals with whatever data you give it. Whereas we, you know, if we're running a couple of projects and we're trying to fight with resources with other project managers, it gets all very complicated at some point. Have you seen over time maybe a reduction in the amount of project managers that you see deployed in a given organization? I've seen more. Really? Because, you know, most organizations are moving to a far higher project-based economy, if you like. They're doing more and more projects. And I can go back and reflect on my early days of joining a proper company that was, I was internal. They had a number of initiatives that ran for a, you know, a year or so, and then they kind of took their breath and they started some new initiatives. Well, these days, it's a constant flow of projects that are quite pressurized as far as time and certainly are working on a much wider scale. So many projects these days are of a virtual and global nature. So I've seen more project managers and I've seen a huge rise in what I call projects as usual, middle layer. You've got business as usual, which is what your organization does. Mm-hmm. You've got projects as projects at the high level. 
these are the big, hairy, scary stuff. You need a dedicated project manager. But what I've seen is the growth in the middle area where managers, senior people are leading smaller changes inside the organization as part of their day job. So they may not have formal training in project management. They might not be applying a formal methodology or anything like that, but it doesn't mean they're not delivering some form of change. So overall, I've seen a growth in projects. So I suppose that's more around the product development side of things, really, where it's a continuous development of an existing product and teams are expected to interact with one another in that sort of regard? That's part of it. But I mean, you think of any organization, there's departmental changes, there's relocation changes, there's marketing campaigns, and there's the move to a more sort of digital office type environment. There's just so many different types of projects going on inside organizations, apart from the ones that are trying to, as you say, launch a new product or drive to a new market or anything like that. Yeah, definitely on the rise is my view. This is across all elements of the organization. This is not within the technology side of the organization. This is across the whole of the organization, everything that it takes for an organization to exist, really. So this can be non-technical related, and you've kind of got to find a way to blend tech projects with marketing projects with all those sort of things. All of them, absolutely, at the highest level. You know, very recently I was working with a company to advise them on building a strategic management office. This was anything about the company, all the big changes they want to make, all the growth they wanted, all the mergers and acquisitions they were anticipating, etc. So that level, that's high stakes project management. You mentioned as well about setting up PMOs, and I'm sure you've written the book on PMOs as well. Just a couple. <laughs> Just a couple. <laughs> so the role that you tend to take in an organization seems to be around that PMO and pulling all of these things together. How do you deal with the complexities of having all of these disparate parts of the organization and do you have separate PMOs for each one? Do you have a single one? Or is it different in every organization you work in? Well, it's different. But I mean, typically, there's at least two PMOs. There's like an internal-facing PMO and an external. You know, my specialism is in external client-facing projects. Most of my experience has been working for some of the big software organizations out there, Kronos, Siemens, IBM, big players like that. And so what we're talking about is client-facing projects, you know, where the client have acquired the technology, they want it deployed as quickly as possible, they want return on investment, et cetera, et cetera, and they need help to do it. But equally, there's always been some internal projects as well. But inside an organization, particularly if it's you know, a software company, there will be an internal PMO looking at the development of the product, et cetera, and focusing on that kind of stuff. And there might well be some sort of strategic management office or a transformation management office. Now, so I've been part of those as well. So every company is different, but it's not unusual, I would say, for a company to differentiate between those two critical focuses, external or internal. And when we're talking about the artificial intelligence and trying to use machine learning, get to autonomy over time, we've talked briefly through this conversation that there is a lot of differences in every organization. So how does the machine learning aspect work in that regard? Does it have to be specific to an organization or is there a certain global learning that we can take to, again, feed and enrich that machine learning? At the end of the day, projects are projects are projects. So the principles are the same. And I've worked in most industries. Hmm. I've never worked in construction, but I do feel that is slightly different. But if you take the starting point that the projects are projects and therefore the kind of AI empowered project management tools and technology that are going to be available in the very near future then it's just a matter then of how that is applied inside the organization. I think the real key to this, the organization, and in fact, every project manager should be ready for this, understand what AI is all about, how it can help, and how it is going to be a supporter, not a threat. The second thing is data. I mean, 
if you think about the autonomous driving the Caribbean experimented with, if they were receiving out-of-date map updates and suddenly there'd been a new bypass put in, et cetera, and one of the sensors wasn't working, this is kind of what it would be like in an organization based on the data that exists in most organizations. We all know it's pretty disconnected and flaky in some parts. And so, you know, one of the big challenges is going to be to get the right level of data to really allow the AI to work effectively. And the final part is AI can't be human. That's where the real focus is going to be. Like, let the AI do the job it can do, but let's spend the time that we're going to have and focus on people. Kind of back to where I started in project management. Mm. That's all I had. So I focused on it. Somehow was reasonably successful. Now, project managers is going to be able to deliver much larger scale, far more complicated projects than I ever did. But they're going to be able to do it by spending most of their time working with people, being true leaders of people, building a team, helping that kind of area and allowing the AI to get on with the boring stuff. <laughs> yeah, I would definitely like to have some of the boring stuff taken off my plate. Yeah. You know, we've gone through these cycles, I suppose, with Waterfall and then Agile. Is this going to be another iteration on that? Are we going to see more methodologies or processes or ways of working or whatever you want to call them, as you, you know, <laughs> rightly pointed out earlier? Is there going to be another evolution to that, do you think? It's hard to judge. A couple of things there, I think. Let's take the Agile world and kind of scrum meetings that go on, etc. I mean, AI isn't going to help there. It's just a bunch of people stand up and talking to each other. And mm. so, you know, there's going to be areas that AI can help and areas that AI can I think the really interesting thing is, and this is probably a challenge for some of the big organizations out there, if you look at their certification right now, their certification is 90% process-based, yeah? Mm -hmm. <laughs> now, if project managers don't have to worry so much about process because AI is going to do it for them, what's that going to mean for your certificates of today and tomorrow, basically? That is going to bring about a significant shift. Some of my kids are learning to drive, and it's a big debate about do they just learn manual? Or do they just learn automatic? Because mm. really, are they ever going to drive a non-automatic car? They will have plans to go buy a brand new car, which I never had when I started out. <laughs> they fully expect to be driving electric vehicles in the future, which are just not going to be manual. Or maybe not even driven, actually. Not even <laughs> driven, yeah, that's kind of that. It's also like, you know, sat navigation, etc. You know, I don't worry about guiding myself anywhere anymore. I just slap ways on and it takes care of that. I can spend more time talking to whoever's in the car with me or hopefully focusing on driving better, et cetera. That was a bit of a messy answer to your question, but I think it's going to bring about a change, and I can't describe what the change is at this point in time apart from the fact more time on people. No, I think that's a really good answer, actually, because I think it leads us down a world where we know there's going to be some level of change, specifically with the AI stuff. I think it's good to know the areas that it's probably going to replace or simplify but we don't know the extent to what that's going to be. And I think we can probably assume it's just going to become more extensive and ubiquitous over time, really. Yeah, yeah. And at the end of the day, I mean, we haven't really fought it anywhere else. Have we? Even my dad doesn't argue about having to get his map out and navigate these days. He just turns his car on. It tells him where to go. So, you know, I think we will accept these things. But right now, in project management, we're just at that cusp of recognizing that AI is going to come. Resistance is futile. <laughs> you know, embrace it. Learn about it. This is very exciting. Some of the stuff that's out there is just amazing. The research I did for the book was so exciting. Some of the things in AI and across the world, outside project management, it's just amazing. You mentioned resistance is futile. Have you seen much resistance as you've been researching? So I started in the middle of last year, started talking about this and doing presentations. And I always ask people before and after these sessions, you know, how do you feel about AI? And are you scared? Are you nervous? Are you concerned? Are you interested, intrigued, excited, or you bored or whatever? And it always changes by the end of the presentation. I think it is because people haven't really thought about it. I must admit, I use a Terminator image to kind of promote it sort of thing. I think people 
start there in some cases, but really once you explain what it can do, I think most people accept it. Yeah. Hmm. Do you think they're accepting it with the knowledge that it's going to change their roles or not? There's going to be some, this is not going to affect me. It's not going to happen in my career or you know, my company's not going to take this up. But I think they're sadly mistaken there, unless their career is very close to finishing. But I think, uh, yeah, some people I think are just not concerned because they don't think it's going to impact them. I think it is actually going to suddenly explode. We know all of the major tool providers in the world of project management are looking at AI. Mm. Some will admit it, some won't, but they are. And by default, therefore, it is going to come. And do you have any favourites in terms of these tools? Full disclosure at this point, I am involved in an organisation that is focusing on project team performance analytics. Mm. The idea of it is it uses whatever technology you're using right now, whether it be Teams or Slack or something like that. It's not adding a layer to anything. Once you set the parameters up, kind of analyzing how people feel on a almost not daily, but very, very regular micro pulses that can draw in and give the project manager an insight into how the team feel the project is really going to be. Is it going to be successful? Are there weaknesses? If there are weaknesses, where they are, yeah, what is their mood? What is their sentiment? How positive do they feel? And it's going to provide nudges back to the project manager, go, think about this, look at this, have you considered this? There's a concern in one of your team areas at this point in time. So it's not pointing fingers saying, you know, Chris is really pissed off at the moment and he's not playing nicely. But it's going to say, at the moment, you know, you're seeing a dip in the belief the project's going to be successful. So here's some ideas to try and reinforce it, et cetera. Yeah, I think it's a very exciting area because it's about people and it's about project teams. I think we have so much data about the process side of project management but we don't have a lot of data of the tool on the people side of it. Which is, as you mentioned at the top of the show, the people are the most important part. And so when you're talking about the high-performance team, what are those key performance indicators, I suppose, that you're looking for when you're trying to get the most out of a given project team? I mean, a lot of it is about trust levels and collaboration levels. You know, a high-performing team is very trusting of each other, very open with each other. They're there to support you if you make an error or there's a problem or there's an issue, etc. They're not individual thinking, they're collaborative thinking. So there's a lot of measurements around that, about how that looks. And that's kind of what this the tech is doing. It's kind of looking at you providing all the graphical representation of all of those aspects. On top of that, you can incorporate your own kind of measurements that you might want to do around stakeholder engagement and stuff like that, sponsor interactions, all those elements that you can create. And it starts looking at all of those. I mean, to your point, I mean, at the end of a project, have you ever heard, let's say, the sponsor, have they ever thanked the methodology for success? Have they ever thanked the installation (laughs) process or the reporting process or the change management? Of course they have. They thank the people. They're never going to thank the AI either. They're going to thank the people at the end of the day. So it always comes back down to people. When you're doing the work with setting up a PMO, what are those key things that you go after straight away? What are the indicators you're looking for? Because obviously you'll be looking to get in and understand the people, but what are the positives and negatives? What are the things you look for when you're trying to lead a project transformation? The PMO models I build, and it's based, again, on my experience, you know, I call it the balanced PMO. It's looking at what I call the five Ps, mm-hmm. people, process, performance, promotion, and project systems or technology. Mm-hmm. Technology starts with a T, so I had to come up with something else. <laughs> the first thing is you're looking at the people. How do the people feel? You know, have you got the right project managers? Are you skilling them properly? Are you evaluating them properly? Is it the right community? All of that. The process is, you know, do they then have the right method or framework to deliver successfully? The promotion is, is the PMO supporting them? Are they talking positively? Are they engaging with internal and external stakeholders? 
the performance is tracking the performance of the project managers, of the projects, of the portfolio, of the PMO as well. And then all of this is built on the project management information systems or technology. Do they have the right tools to be successful? So the first thing I'd always do, and in fact, I'm just completing one right now for a company, is you build this roadmap, which looks at all of those components and looks at how healthy are any of these elements in there. And it will be different from every company. You know, some company might be heavily into recruiting project managers. Another one company is heavily into retaining project managers or developing them. The priorities will be different. But once you've got that, it's like, well, what's the state of play right now? And therefore, where do you need to put the immediate effort into improving things? And I think you might need to bolster up the methodology that's in place. It may be that you need to enhance the knowledge assets that you've got in place and the artifacts, et cetera. All of that will vary. But it gives the PMO kind of very simple visual roadmap of how to move forward. And of course, a lot of that is also talking to the internal stakeholders of what's important to them as well. What is it you need to track and measure? Because PMOs only exist by uh, internal sponsorship. How often do you find that things have been overlooked by an organisation? Often, very often. Are they always the same thing or is there some commonality? No, I said the same thing is the fact that they're probably out of balance. You know, they've done a lot of work. I mean, when I talk about the projects and portfolio and everything in a very simple way, as far as I'm concerned, the project is doing it the right way. A program is just doing in the right order. A portfolio is doing the right things for the company. And a PMO is having the right people. And that's the first mistake is often the PMO is not staffed with the right level of people. It's seen as a kind of centralized, disconnected, administrative overseer, if you like. And PMOs, I've always had some very, very experienced people because they're going to interact with other project managers. And therefore, you need the authority, you need the respect, you need the empathy. Now, unfortunately, these people are quite expensive. And that's why PMOs often get it wrong because they go for much cheaper resources. And the other big mistake, of course, is when a PMO is built to be the project police. Mm. It's all about people who are nothing to do with the day-to-day projects, but they put together checklists and tick boxes and goodness knows what else. And on the phone, if you haven't filled something in in the right period of time, who loves the project police? Nobody. No, I've always said that the PMO should be the cavalry and not the police. You want them to be riding in to save you. <laughs> That's interesting. And I use that analogy in a slightly more way, yes. I mean, again, an organisation doesn't want pioneers. They want discipline of the cavalry. You know, they want a whole bunch of project managers delivering in a creative but uniform way. So I think that's part of it. What is for the greater good of the organisation? The other thing I always talk about PMOs is, you know, be the right sort of firefighter. Yeah, you know, firefighters despite what you see on films and television, they don't actually like running to burning buildings and rescuing kittens. <laughs> they spend most of their time preventing fires. That's what they do. They go around checking fire safety, protocol, all the rest of it. So they try and prevent things. And a great PMO should be doing that, preventing fires rather than putting them out. And of course, again, to return to that police analogy, you don't want the firefighter fighting fire with fire. No. To paraphrase a Ken Dodd joke. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't. You definitely don't. So yeah, I guess that's some of the common things. I mean, every PMO is different and every company I engage with is. Well, that's what keeps me going, really. I'm curious. So the last 12 months or so, we've obviously all gone through a global plague. Everything is now remote working. How has that changed things for you? Prior to this, my absolute delight was being taken somewhere exotic in the world and being put on stage for an hour and being paid well <laughs> for that privilege and engaging with a huge group of people. And what changed overnight, really, was that every conference, first of all, it was delayed, and then it went virtual. And they continue to be virtual. I mean, right now, I still do not have a booking for a physical conference for the rest of this year. That was a big change. 
my way of working didn't change that much because I spent so much of my working life operating in a semi-remote way. I mean, I was running a global PMOs, etc. So it didn't really matter where I was. And sometimes I was in an office, sometimes I was on a plane going somewhere, and sometimes I was at home. So that was kind of comfortable, but it has accelerated mm. a lot. And I've learned ways to try and draw in what's often been a larger audience, I'll be honest, but to draw them in and get them feel connected and so feel a little bit more engaged than just seeing a tiny little picture of me and some slides on the screen. <laughs> so, you know, all of that has been a really interesting, at times very challenging, I must admit, but, you know, an interesting period. And has that affected actual project delivery from your perspective as well? Obviously, the speaking engagements and the work engagements, but actual project delivery, has that changed from what you've seen? I think there was a lot of pause and there was a lot of consideration out there. And then gradually, towards the sort of third quarter last year, I began to see projects and project managers returning and just getting on with it. And again, I think like everybody else, they found ways to communicate more effectively, stay in touch more effectively in a remote way. So I think for the most part, all the ones I'm aware of are moving ahead as they were, really. They just found a different way of engaging and communicating. How do you think that engagement changes? I mean, is there more focus on people now or more focus on process? Has that changed? It's really interesting because, you know, when this first started, I went straight back to, you know, the financial issues we had in, what, 2009. Mm -hmm. And the fact everything stopped. And then we started projects again. And when we started projects, we no longer had any meetings. We just started remotely. And we immediately saw a significant decline in project progress because the key team players didn't meet and engage and have that relationship. This has gone on for so long. I think we've got past that now. I think because we're all in it together, mm. then people have just found their way through this, through trial and error and so forth. So I think if I set up a meeting with a group of people now, we're all coming to it like, well, we understand the situation. We are going to work in this way with Zoom or Teams or whatever. We're going to make sure we progress and be successful. We are like we're sitting in the same room. It's not the same. Of course it's not. You know, we don't bond. We don't go out for a beer or a dinner after work or anything like that. But I think there's just general acceptance from people that, oh, this is the way we're going to have to work. So this is the way we're going to work. Is it going to change back or are there going to be lessons that we've learned from this we will carry with us? I think there will be. I think the big thing about this is it has gone on so long that we're not going to go back. Mm. It's now 14 months since I last went on site or conference or anywhere. I think as a result of that, it will go back into some form of hybrid. Mm. For sure, people will go out to the office. People do kind of miss that interaction, etc. And true, there will be conferences, you know, starting probably end of this year and onwards. But I think, you know, most of the organizations I'm talking to around the conferences, they freely talk about hybrid conferences in future. There will be a number of people who will physically be there, but there will be a parallel hybrid connection to a wider audience. Well, I suppose that's even what they're doing with Prime Minister's questions at the moment, isn't it? That is a hybrid yeah. audience as well. My view is that it's gone on so long that we've learned to work in a different way and we will recover a little bit because we are social beings. Mm. I'd love to go out and go to a conference or go on site to a client or wherever. So I'm not going to resist that when it happens. I will question a lot of things. I flew to France to go and pre-conference meeting. You know, I was there for an hour and a half and then we had something to eat. I'm not going to do that again. Why would you do that? Why would the client want you to do that, really? Crazy. That is going to change, but yeah, a hybrid. Is there going to be a virtual project manager book in the pipeline? or a... <laughs> Not from me, not from me. I think others can write better on that one. The AI book is the next one. The one after that is all going to be around project team performance management. Yeah, that's going to keep you busy for the time being. Yes, that's the next theme for the conferences, presumably. I would hope so. I think AI is proving very popular. I've done 10 or 12 of those already. Mm. 
And yeah, performance team management is warming up. I've got a couple out there for end of this year and early next year. So you've got 21 books in the canon, did you say? Yeah, yeah. So has there been a conference around each one of them? Have some been more popular than others? The Lazy Project Manager is still by far the most popular. Mm. I wrote a book quite a while ago, which is called The Project Manager Who Smiled. It's about project fun and the value of fun. When last year, when this all kicked off, I started doing free sessions on this based on the book, and I was giving the book away to people as well. And that was hugely popular. Actually, people having a smile and a laugh was amazing. The PMO books have been popular, both leading and building PMOs. And the rest have all been reasonably popular. I honestly think AI is going to be the next big one. I mean, AI is a big trend. Have any of your other titles over the last 10 years sort of followed a trend that you've seen in an industry and that's what you've jumped on? Or has it all been stuff that you just needed to get out of your head? You know, I've talked about sponsors. I've talked about project branding. I've talked about things I care about. I've talked about project communication. I've talked about project health. These are things I think are important. So I haven't really followed. I mean, the book that's coming out very shortly as we talk and has already come out when this goes live. <laughs> I mean, that's around business agility. That's a bit of a trend and the fact that businesses need to be far more flexible in their thought and their way they're working. That's a bit of a trend. A lot of business transformation, I suppose, there, digital transformation, that sort of stuff. What do you think are the key things that people are looking for in terms of business transformation? What are the highlights from that book? There's an element of unlearning. Organizations need to stop doing a whole bunch of stuff. And I do like the whole concept of unlearning, et cetera. And there's, there's some good books out there around that. There's the whole kind of project-centric organization, which naturally then leads on to a very team-centric organization. You know, change will be increasingly brought about by people being put together in temporary teams to bring about some change inside the organization. Mm-hmm. How do those teams engage and work with each other? And then below that, of course, there is the agile project management approaches and far more flexible approaches, the anti-waterfall, the rest of it. Yeah, companies need to really get hold of that. I think they're the big ones. And collaboration is really important. And so over the course of the last 10 years, you've been getting all this stuff that you cared about out of your head, (laughs) (laughs) which I think must be quite a cathartic thing to be able to write that down and have it out in the open. Yeah. How many more titles can we expect over the next 10 years? I don't know. At one point, I kind of really struggled. And then something happens. I'll just tell you about last year, actually. So once I'd done the project manager who smiled and we had a lot of sessions, et cetera, I thought, well, on LinkedIn, you saw a mass of people saying, open to work, you know, they've been let go or projects have been paused. My first thing I do was, well, I can do a lot of stuff around, you know, presentation skills and stuff like that. But there's just so much out there. And then I thought, well, why don't we have a challenge? I don't know. I woke up one Sunday morning and I thought, how quickly can you write a book? <laughs> on Monday morning, I posted on LinkedIn, so I was going to write this book. It was going to be called The Projectless Manager. It was going to be tips, techniques, and tricks in the current pandemic. And I was looking for people to contribute. The rules were very simple. We were going to publish in 21 days. Therefore, they had this period of time to just let me know if they're interested. And then they had this period of time to submit 500 words of a tip, technique, and experience, etc. We broke it down in the end to sort of lockdown legacy, stuff that could be taken forward. Or then there was the kind of inspiration of stuff like, well, we're starting to do this or we're having this meeting or we've had this great idea. And we did it. I mean, in 21 days from the concept, the book was published on Amazon and printed form and Kindle. I had 56 project managers from around the world in 22 countries contribute and we put it out there. We gave the proceeds to the AHS from the royalties. And the best thing about it is I ran a competition for the kids of project managers to design the cover. And there's a brilliant cover. Go onto Amazon, have a look at it if you want. It's the projectless manager. 
this kid came up with this brilliant thing. It's a lady project manager in a cape flying over the buildings and saving the day. And it was just, we had a lot of fun. And at the end of the day, it was good fun, a good experience, great collaboration. And as far as I know, there were like 56 people published for the very first time. And hopefully that's just the start of their journey in writing. That's great. So that's what, 21 days, you say? 21 days, start to finish, yeah. From start to finish, wow. So you essentially project managed the production of a project management book. That's getting a bit meta now. <laughs> Absolutely. It's great fun. You know, these days, you know, with what's known as Amazon Kindle or direct publishers, it's relatively simple to do if you follow a format and a template, et cetera. But even so, you know, I was delighted. And there were some pretty good points of inspiration in the book as well. It's worth a read. We'll have to check that out. Over the course of the 10 years, I mean, that's like two books a year, pretty much. <laughs> have you had any periods of writer's block in there? I've been fortunate. So I know I said I work publishers, I also publish myself. What I usually find is, and these are the slightly less than successful, but every now and then, this is my cathartic bit, I will just write another lazy orientated book. Mm. Which I write myself. I commission someone to proofread it and typeset it and then self-publish on Amazon. So they kind of got me over any particular block. I do, there's been points that I'm thinking, I don't know what else to write about. <laughs> and then, you know, six, 12 months later, something will happen and I get all excited about it again. I have to say, two books a year doesn't seem particularly lazy. <laughs> lazy is not, not doing stuff. Lazy is being very efficient in what you do. Hmm. And to be honest, you know, this is my job, but it's also my hobbies as well. I love writing and I love speaking as well. So it's not too onerous, I must admit. So are there other books in your canon that fall into the lazy category then? I was a lazy project manager and there was the lazy winner. The lazy winner was all about the generic effectivity in working. But I mean, I've written Get Fit with a Lazy Project Manager, which is all about project health. Not a Jane Fonda workout. It is not. No, my brother was running marathons at the time. You know, he shames <laughs> me on a regular basis. I have to say now in lockdown, he's kind of caught up with me a little bit about the in-hole physique area, <laughs> which I feel good about. So no, I wrote this one about project health and the story that projects I looked at, retrospectives, lessons learned, health checks, all that stuff. And there's other ones around a kind of presentational skills, the lazy way of doing presentational skills. I think the lazy concept's great. Has that in any way haunted you throughout your career, like <laughs> branding yourself as lazy? It hasn't haunted me. You know, there have been times I kind of tried to move away from it, thinking, well, that, we've done that. I mean, you know, I've been on the road for 10, 11 years talking to lazy project manager, but surely people are tired of it. I keep coming across groups of people and they go, no, no, we want to hear it. It's great. So I'm still doing it. I've never felt I couldn't escape it. The lazy project manager hasn't worked in some place. I mean, Asia particularly. They cannot get past the fact that it's just a tongue-in-cheek challenge to the profession, if you like. Lazy has a totally negative connotation. So it has limited some markets. And in the Middle East, I've also had to kind of rebrand when I've done presentations, you know, the, the smart project manager or the effective project manager and stuff like that. Oh, that's interesting. No, I can't complain, really, for the most part. It's, I kind of sigh when someone says they want a lazy project manager, but actually when I start talking about it, it all comes back. <laughs> are there any themes that sort of go through your entire series of books any sort of commonality that thread through the only commonality really in all honesty is none of the books i've written are very long mm. contractually i was forced to write a book with sixty thousand words and that was agony for me that's like two <laughs> books for me they're short they're honest and i try always to put a degree of humor in there a kind of levity that helps when i'm writing a book i'm always thinking how am i going to present this if someone asks me to represent this how can I do this? I mean, the AI one's a great example. Right down next to me, actually, while we're talking, I've got a Robbie the RoboVac, the kind of automated vacuum cleaner. <laughs> it's a little bit of AI in it, actually. It's learning the house, but it's also screwed up badly. It tried to self-destruct by eating its own power cable once, and it, <laughs> it ate my partner's knitting, which got it into real trouble, and 
the cat made a horrible mess one day and he tried to clean that up. <laughs> this is the stupidity of AI. It's not super intelligent yet, but it will come. Like a Dalek, it can't go upstairs. <laughs> so some of that stuff that you had in your first book, Lacey Project Manager, where you are pointing out failures and things that you've had in the past and learnings that you've had. So that's a theme that goes through the series, is it? Quite often. I mean, every publisher wants something slightly different, but I've always managed to put something of myself into the book. And certainly when I speak about them, I was taught early days, when you do a presentation, 80% entertainment and 20% information. Oh, there's that 80-20 rule again. 80-20 rule again. <laughs> but yeah, you know, you entertain your audience, then you capture the audience, you share something, and if they like it, they're going to find out more afterwards. So don't bombard them. Is there any concept in your book that you find people talking to you about more regularly? Are there any things that really stick in people's minds? Yeah, I mean, the Lazy Project Manager, people love the dinosaur in it. I mean, the Brontosaurus. That imagery is just so, I think it's still pretty unique. I think it's the only project management book with a dinosaur in. <laughs> so for the listeners, can you just recount that? Because that is my favourite bit as well. I was a Monty Python fan. There's a sketch, as Monty Python did. It's John Cleese dressed up as a woman called Miss Anne Elk, who has a theory about brontosauruses. It's a stupid theory. The joke is about how difficult it is to get her to say what it is. But at the end of the day, she says a brontosaurus is thin at one end, much, much bigger in the middle, and thin again at the far end. It struck me when I was writing the book and thinking about it. That's how people see projects. And for everybody, that probably is true. But for a project manager, I argued it's not true, because for a project manager, a lazy project manager, the effort is at the front end of the project. The effort is at the back end of the project. The work in the middle is done by the team and your job is to be there to support, lead, guide the team. So my theory from a lazy project manager is that the project is thick at one end, much, much thinner in the middle, thick again at the far end. And that really is the structure and the basis of the book itself. And of course, you get to sit in the comfy chair. I get to sit in the comfy chair. <laughs> Throughout the middle period, you know, obviously I read the book 11 years ago, met you when you first delivered it, and I was very young at the time. But that's something that stuck in my mind, and it's something I've said to project managers time and time again, because I think it rings so true that actually if you do put that effort in up front in a project, then you're going to be well-planned throughout the rest of it. And I think as someone who is quite naturally lazy, it's giving you that opportunity to be lazy and just deal with the important things, I suppose, which is that people management throughout the life cycle of the project if you've done your planning right up front. My projects have always been particularly complex, so I don't think I've ever had the chance to really sit back in the comfy chair and, uh, and take it easy. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, it's not saying you're not busy as a project manager. The point about it is that the work is being done by the project team. Mm -hmm. Job is to be proactive in most cases, you know, going around, supporting them, encouraging them, all that kind of showing leadership, and then be instantaneously reactive when there are problems. You know, you're not really sitting in the comfy chair doing nothing. But the point is, I saw so many project managers went back to that kind of behavioral stuff where they were spending their time, those ones who were working crazy hours. I did it myself. I made that mistake. I was in every meeting, every point of communication, every decision had to be made. I didn't trust people, I didn't delegate correctly. And the result of that is it just consumed huge amounts of time, slowed everything down. And the reality was it didn't help anybody. So that kind of was my argument behind the Brontosaurus theory. Yeah, I think it's a nice aspiration to be able to have your project set up well enough that you can sit in the comfy chair. But normally you can only just touch it and then you've got to get up and deal with the next <laughs> the next thing that's on fire. But at least it's more controlled at that point in time, I guess. But It certainly is. It certainly is. You know, people reach out to me and say, well, I'm training internally or doing this or doing that. And it's that imagery they want. They want the dinosaur imagery. In fact, one conference I did beginning of last year, actually, they wanted me to be a lazy project manager. I do a thing called an audience with a lazy project manager, which is like one hour keynote. And then we have like a who wants to be a lazy project manager millionaire game afterwards, which is quite fun. 
But they actually created a dinosaur cocktail. They sent all of the people who were attending the conference the ingredients to make a drink prior to the event. They sent everybody except for me. <laughs> I was the only person who didn't have a cocktail, which I'm very upset about. <laughs> That's great. Well, I think you should be publishing that cocktail recipe somewhere. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> potentially get royalties for that. The Lazy Project Manager's Book of Cocktails. Yeah, that's It's a good one. It's a good one. So I'm conscious of your time, Peter. I know that you've got to get on to your next session. Is there anything that you wanted to cover today that we haven't covered? I know. I think it's been a good conversation. I mean, I just will summarise. I think project management is an incredibly exciting profession to be in. I think, you know, show some independency, you know, connect the communities, but also show some independency in the way you work. Think for yourself. You know, get to know AI, but also, you know, get to know your people, really, because that's where the success is. Great. Well, I like the fact that we've also been able to take in a little bit of the lazy project manager there by providing a summary at the end of the podcast. If you've missed the rest of the show, you can tune into just this part. And that works out quite nicely because although this has been a conversation between the two of us, Sam has joined us for the last five seconds there (laughs) and actually managed to take in the summary. And that five seconds has been fantastic. (laughs) I've enjoyed it thoroughly. Thank you again, Peter. We'll have to let you go, of course. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you for being here. Absolutely my pleasure. And go check out LazyProjectManager.com.